that was the clash with london's calling that is probably one of the biggest cultural songs in british history and as for this blog's about we're going to be looking at the british youth culture from the 1950s onwards which is a big thing in britain is youth culture we have had many different cultures throughout the decades and years which I think personally in the recent decade has probably died down. So straight away I'm going to be going straight into it. That's what the podcast is going to be about. We're just diving straight into it. I'm not going to give it a proper introduction. I'm going to look into the 1950s straight away. And we're going to be looking at the Teddy Boys or a commonly known as Teds. It was a British subculture which... You, basically saw young men mainly in this it was mainly a young men thing they did have a teddy girls but it was inspired dress sense by the edwardian period dandies and savile taylor's did try to attempt to reintroduce the the look after the second world war and really the style goes into drip jackets reminiscent to the american 1940s zoot suits which was worn by Italian-Americans. But it's really, a lot of them wore slim suits, very well-dressed. Obviously, skinny ties. And I think the hair... I think the hair is quite like Elvis Presley they used to have, because they were music for them were very influenced by Elvis Bill Halley and Eddie Cochran it was just that's what they were inspired by looks like that they were very 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 well dressed shoes wise they wore Oxfords with chunky brogues if you are a Kingsman for a fan. You know, Oxford not brogues. That's a bit of a film reference to thrown in there. But they were also quite often wore like sweet shoes as well, like brothel cr- creepers. I bought brothel creepers or beetle crushers. I said their hairstyle is long and the front and size would come back to form what is known as a duck's arse. <laughs> yeah, a duck's arse, that's the name of the haircut. Uh, but they did have a female side to them. They did have the teddy girls. They would normally wore drape jackets as well. But with pencil skirts, hobble skirts, or rolled up jeans, flat shoes, with a tailored jacket, velvet c- collar. Again, another sort of smartly dressed. So, but they did have a bit of a a violent lifestyle. Teddy boys did. But before I get into the violent lifestyle, obviously their music was very inspired by Elvis Presley, Bill Harley, Eddie Cochran, even... For the saxophonist, Ken McIntosh was a big thing. But they often spent a lot of time in record shops like HMV. But then, I think the Teddy Boys, 
it it died it died out very quickly by the end of the 1950s 60s did see a bit of a revival through the Beatles with George Harrison and John Lennon taking up the style the likes of Chuck Berry as well Jerry Lee Lewis Little Richard all those types of people brought brought in we did see a little bit of a Shaken Stevens was another one in the 1970s they were a quite a violent group to say the least they they notoriously known for clashing at the Notting Hill riots which was a big race riot where they attacked in West Indy West Indian communities in between the summer of 1958 June and July massive attack it was about 300-400 of them targeting black residents one night, one black man was lying unconscious on the pavement, near enough dead in some senses. Obviously, this violent lifestyle did end up getting a sensationalised into a pulp novel by Ernest Raymond. It was published that year in 1958. But they did, they they did really die out very quickly. Obviously, we did see them very, very quickly have a revival in the early 60s. The odd revival in the 70s, but it never really stuck. These, this didn't, um, it, it, it did, it did very fastly die out. And that's probably a bit of an influence into the next one's we're going to be looking at the next sort of dress sense which was the mod culture I think the thing with the mods they were their dress sense is very similar they used to wear suits often a bit more into a stylish pattern suits coloured suits and then they would wear above it a jacket A jacket, which is more of a parka, with the RAF symbol, which is quite linked to a big mod influential band called The Who. And and then they used to have haircuts, kind of like what Liam Gallagher has. Quite a flat fringe on. A lot of the mods didn't just wear suits. They used to wear jeans, Fred Perry polos, jeans often by... Levi's used to wear boots, often Dot Martins. A lot of big brands of Fred Perry, Lambretta, Ben Sherman, Levi's, which they used to, Doc Martins, which they used to wear that era. But they did used to ride scooters. And I think with the mod culture, it has got a lot of links to the coast, the south coast of England, to Brighton, Margate. Okay, Bournemouth, Plymouth, you used to have quite a link to that. And I think, obviously, the mods were very, very influenced by bands like The Who. Later on, by bands like The Clash. Did have a bit of a scar following as well, which is a big later on. And it, has, and it is a 
the working class thing mod culture came from. Clearly the music was a big, big thing for, um, they did look at British bands like the Rolling Stones a little bit and the Kinks, the Who, Smoke and all that. It was, and especially with Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend were big, big, big influences. Pete Townsend was another thing that we did see, but obviously the mods did have a bit of a violent side to them. They were linked to a massive conflict with the Rockers, the Modsley Rockers. Said to be Margate, Brighton, Bournemouth, Clacton. And some of these fights used to go on for days. And a lot of these did kind of spill into football as well, which I'll be looking into football hooliganism a bit later on. And obviously, so there was a lot of physical conflicts. This is what I mean. A lot of it happened, especially in 1964, Easter weekend. Conflicts really took place in Brighton. And this lasted two days of fighting. It did move along the coast. It did spill into another seaside town of Hastings, which... It was dubbed back at the time as the Second Battle of Hastings. A lot of these rockers were isolated on the beach by mods. The police tried to protect them, but the assault was overwhelming. Framed by the mods. And there was a lot of arrests. We were looking about hundreds of arrests of mods at this time. And clearly these were... A massive, massive issue, Mods v. Rockers. I'll be getting onto the Rockers very shortly. And the thing is, this is a part influence of the football hooliganism scene as well. I know the football hooliganism scene weren't a big youth culture thing. It was mainly a... It was a bit of everyone. I'll be diving into youth culture. And there's a lot of things did happen in London as well. They were trouble in Finsbury Park... Where they actually, this was a bit of a later on, early 1980s thing, where they clashed with punks. But the well-dressed mods did have a issue with drugs. They were very well into amphetamines. Heroin. Cocaine. Alcohol. And LSD. And clearly then, at this point, they used to go to nightclubs a lot. Mainly, the famous one for them was the Twisted Wheel in Manchester. Say these nightclubs opened at 8, but they will close at 5 in the morning. And clearly, and clearly they wanted the night to last. So this was like, I would say, the first real... Apart from the hippie culture, this is like the first real sign of drugs in culture. Especially now they they are taking amphetamines and all that. 
it is such a big thing that it obviously puts on to history now, this does. And they they always, they only took it to stimulate an alertness. That's all they took it. For obviously heroin then to probably sort of cool off. And it was it is just something the mod culture has really just lived up to was drugs as well in their nightlife. But we're gonna talk about the main thing. The mods did do a very, very British image. A lot of them were probably one of the big things they looked at was scooters. Lisa Hang Union Jack flags off it or the English flag or the Welsh flag, it depends what part of mod you were. And a lot of them scooters were mainly Lambrettas and Vespas. A lot of them were very Italian brand. They were cheap to buy. They were low. And the teens who had low pay, pay, paying jobs. But they were often modern, modern fight. And clearly, these mods did choose Italian brands because they're more clean-lined, curved shape, and more gleaming chrome. So basically, they look better than what the British brands or any other brands do. And I think that's what kind of shaped scooters now in the motorcycle world. is That's probably what the modern scooter is based off, is all the mods and... The 1960s did have a lot of fashion, a lot of different type of brands going on. Mods are very big in London East End, which is quite a violent part of London at the time, as we know through the Cray Twins and everything else has happened in the East End in the 60s. But they did have a, obviously we're going to look at now their rivals. Which is the Rockers. Just give me a sec to get to the... Rockers. And they they were basically known as Leather Boys, Turnip Boys, and Cafe Racers. Because obviously, if you want to know where the Cafe Racers come from, they used to spend a lot of time in um, service station cafes on their journeys. And obviously, their characteristics are... Slick back hair, big hair, use Brill Cream to keep it back, pompadours, Brill Cream's quite a big brand as you know, popular with 50s rock musicians like Elvis, and uh, they used to wear leather jackets, often bike brands, they used to ride Triumphant bikes, Triumph, sorry not Triumphant, Triumphant, Triumph bikes, often wear Levi's jeans, Raglas jeans, leather trousers, they normally wore brothel creepers, beetle crushers, or black boots, often combat boots. They used to wear a plain t shirt, they normally used to wear open faced helmets with aviator goggles and a white scarf to protect their mouth. And on sometimes on their jackets, used to wear have metal studs, patches, pin badges, and sometimes SO gas man trinkets. 
But opposite to their counterparts, the mods, they did have an opposition against recreational drugs, and that's probably one of the main things about them. They did really dislike drugs. They had some against amphetamines, heroin, and cannabis. Obviously, clearly, there's always going to be a group within the majority which do drugs. We gotta remember that. And it's they they believed that drugs wasn't the answer. They weren't very very linked with drugs, and yeah, that's pretty much. They were a bit more. Of, I would say the good guys in the sense of compared to the mods I do apologise if there's any former mods listening but that's what they seem to be bringing into this and clearly their culture surrounds music they are rockers so they're not like we probably think yeah they're going to be more of a rock fans hard rock because that didn't exist then it was rockers mean rockabilly psychobilly the Beatles, Elvis, it was stuff like that the rockers were into. A lot of them did, a lot of the culture did kind of, is a break off from the Teddy Boys. And that is something that is, does link into it, probably a bit more of the violent side. Compared to the mods, they used to instead ride motorcycles and actual motorbikes. A lot of bar brands they used to use, they didn't really use Harley Davidson or anything like that. They used to... I'm trying to find... They used to use Triumph bikes and that. So that... Or the Norton... Or Norton bikes. BSA, Royal Enfield. They weren't like... Harley riders, if that's where the image people are giving them, by the way I'm describing, they're not Harley riders. And they they do have reunions. These people do. Especially in Britain, we have the Rocker Revival, all organised by Lenny Patterson. Patterson organised the dancer, dancers called the Piss Ups which attracts everyone from Europe, mainly happens in Brighton, which is a very, very historic venue for the Rockers, or Battersea in London. That's another place where it normally gets swarmed with motorcycles straight away. In 1994, Mark Wilshmore and others organised the first Ace Cafe reunion. Is to mark the twenty fifth anniversary of the closure of the famous cafe where they used to go in northwest England in Stonebridge area, and that's pretty much how the rockers go. And I think the rockers do stem into a, another subculture which does come in the seventies, which probably shapes what not. I would say as well as music and fashion is done. A lot of things to to the world. This next subculture, which stems rockers, probably stem stem to now 
stem from the rocker, sorry, is the punk culture. And obviously punk is something that emerged in Britain and America in the mid seventies. I think in Britain I'm gonna I'm gonna say about the sixties band the Buzzcocks, the Manchester based band, they they were punk but they they had their own characteristics but they did have songs like Fall in Love with Someone which is not like your typical punk song like the Sex Pistols. It was a bit more it was a bit more open. It was a bit more mainstream then, the punk culture. But then it was an idea by Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren in a fashion idea to form a band called Sex Pistols to sell clothing in the shop called Sex in London. As we know, Vivian Westwood is like a saint, a hero to fashion. She's done so much for the British fashion scene and it's just incredible what she's done. So basically they formed the Sex Pistols with Johnny Rotten, Sid Vicious and so on. And Sex Pistols literally became something of a hardcore icon to the punk. They shaped what punk is now and and it did stem. Obviously, I'm from Caffili. The Sex Pistols performed in a, a cinema that's not here anymore. And obviously, the punks were anti-establishment, anti-this, anti-that. They had a lot of opposition from pro-party members, so conservative members, Labour members, churches, and just the general public. This is how much of a subculture this was in Britain and the US. And clearly... Let's go back to the Caffiti concert. There was one of the local churches protesting outside. But this concert did see another big, massive, iconic punk band, which I opened the podcast with. The Clash performed there. And clearly, as well, Johnny Rotten pissed on the crowd as well in Caffiti, which is another thing of the I don't give a fuck attitude, which the punks had. And I think a lot of their ideology was, in a sense, anarchy, anti-establishment, anti-collectivism. It was just stuff like that. They were basically anti-royalists, in a sense. They basically didn't care about anything. Especially they have an anarchist view, Sex Pistols in one of the songs, God Save the Queen. Clearly, this has had this was an actual controversial track in Britain at the time. Some punks did have a lot of views, quite extremes. They had neo-Nazi views because there was a thing called the Nazi punk. A lot of them were right wing. A lot of them did support conservatives in America mainly. The conservative punks. But we got to remember as well, the punks were very, very, very big on drugs. Especially if they did do hardcore stuff like heroin, cocaine. They, they probably did everything, the punks. That's the only one way to put it. They probably did everything they can, they can do. And clearly, the punk culture 
is revolved around violence, drugs and sex, a lot of it was. They did have a violent side to them. But they did have probably one of the best fashion looks. A punk normally had spiky mohawks. Normally wore sometimes leather jackets. Jackets, ripped up jackets, ripped up t-shirts, skate shoes, stuff that doesn't look clean in a sense. That's the only way you can describe it. Leather trousers, jeans, stud jackets. And one thing we've got to think about punks as well. They were quite, it was noticed gender discrimination within the punks, obviously. People like Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders were inspired by the punk culture. She said there was no sexual discrimination. Blondie as well, that's another one. There was a lot of female bands like the Runaways, Stilts, Raincoats, Dolly Mixture and Innocence, which were a lot of them were female heads. Even to this day, the punk culture still doesn't discriminate. And obviously, thing with now with the punk culture... It helped a lot with art. Visual arts like Andy Warhol was another thing that the punk culture did. He, he created this alternative look. And they did have a lot of things. A lot of these visual artists doing stuff for the underground press and all that. Album covers. This art I think the punk art stemmed in New York City more than Britain. But Britain had a lot of, I would say, punk poets. Most notably is John Cooper Clark. If you are familiar with him, you might be familiar through the Arctic Monkeys song, I Want to Be Yours off AM. Cracking song, but it's actually a poem by John Cooper Clark, which the Arctic Monkeys probably modernised, adapted to what they would be. But yeah, the punk culture has died in a sense, but it hasn't. Sort of things, you do see a lot of punk in some indie rock bands. They have had a post-punk revival and all that. And I think it's still probably one of the most surviving things. I think it's mainly surviving in areas like Camden Town, which I'll get on to how much of a big cultural thing Camden is to Britain very, very shortly. Yeah, but but punk culture is a big, big thing to the world. It, it, it helped with feminism. In a sense, it helped with race. And yeah, that's pretty much how the punks go. And I'm going to jump into Camden Town now because I need to mention it from the previous three we looked at the mods the rockers and the punks camden is a part of london which is very very much into culture it's got a lot of visual punk art it's got a lot of rockers and punk stores and mod stores it is a bit of a mix gotta remember with camden it is a very multicultural area it's a lot of backgrounds there it's a beautiful place it shows it got remnants of the scar era 
there as well, and clearly is very known for the Doc Martens there. Amy Winehouse is a big part of Camden. It's just a beautiful place in London to visit, and clearly the cultural relevance in music and uh, the nightlife. Clearly you've got the electric ball, no, that's Brixton, sorry. You've got the Roundhouse and the Cuckoo there, which is big areas. And I don't think far from there is the House of Vans, if I'm correct. I mean, Camden's an area to see is a very busy area. If you do want to visit it, be prepared. It is a very, very busy area. And yeah, and now I think I'm going to be moving on now to one other culture, which is probably one of the biggest. I think it's one of the biggest in the 1970s, especially in Britain, was especially in the US mainly because they had the Woodstock Festival in Britain, especially through Jimi Hendrix in a town called Glastonbury, which a lot of you know through as a festival. But the hippies' ideology is probably totally the opposite from the previous three. They were violent. They were more diverse. They had this thing called love and sex, peace not war. They were very much, in a sense, they were very much anti-war. They were pretty known for the being anti-Vietnam War. They're the ones who um burnt their draft letters, anti-nuclear war. They were more political than the other two parties. They had a bit more spiritual than the other two cultures. They did a lot more in a sense of revolutionising probably the Western world at the moment and how we see things and clearly the modern day look, the hipster stimulates from hippies, so... Thing. But the hippies had this big period in 1967 called Summer of Love, which was a big thing. They, they which saw across the United States 20,000 hippies gather in San Francisco Golden Gate Park, which is one thing I'm not going to really talk about the Americans. Summer of Love was a big hippie movement in America. And I think it did birth into Britain a little bit with Hyde Park. The hippies were quite known for doing certain things in public. They had an issue on Primrose Hill and in Hyde Park of public sex was one thing. Group sex, which I'm just going to people who don't get with group sex is basically having a gangbang in public. And it was very much at Britain at the time, because if you were homosexual, you were probably going to end up, and they found out you were going to be chemically castrated. And a lot of these hippies who were homosexual often would have sex in public to like, in a sense, say fuck the establishment. That's probably one way we can put it. But they did have a massive influence in fashion. Clearly they did have influence in art as well. They used to drive a VW Combi, 
which a lot of you might know is a hippie van. It used to be decorated very well, very colourful. The fashion sometimes could see like long white dresses, quite spiritual looking clothing, quite pagan looking, which I'll be getting to the paganism very shortly. He used to wear tie-dye clothing, t-shirts, baggy jeans in a sense, rolled up, long hair, beards, he used to wear like headbands made out of flowers, sort of, sort of stereotypical, was holding their two fingers up into a peace symbol. But they did have a, they, a lot of them travelled around, they did have a bit of a sort of uh, going into religions, a lot of them could have been a bit, could have lived into the gypsy lifestyle. But spiritual spirituality and religion was a big thing for them. A lot of them were into ne- neo-paganism or Wicca which I'm going to be talking into Glastonbury now, which is a part of Britain in Somerset. Right in deep in the Somerset levels in the Mendips is... It's like compared to the rest of Somerset, it is like a different area of its own. It's mainly independent stores. There is nothing like... You don't see like a WH Smith or a JD Sport in Glastonbury. It's like unspoken of... Is there like a lot of spiritual stores that sell pagan items, sells incense, herbs you wouldn't see like in a shop store. And it's pretty much, in the 1960s, that was the tilt shift for Glastonbury. It was a heavily reliant market town. Paganism came into the, paganism was already there. But it came into prominence, the hippies came in, taking up paganism and Wicca. And it just, it formed like a new lease of life in the area, which is straight to modern Glastonbury now. So they follow pagan culture like Sawin. They use the tour for a lot of spiritual things, especially with Glastonbury. There's a lot of links to Christianity, which is another religion a lot of hippies were into. And there's a lot of things with the mythology linking the Tor, which is nicknamed the Isle of Avalon, to King Arthur, the Holy Grail. There's a lot of things the hippie culture and pagan culture loves. Obviously, Britain weren't very much big in hippie culture like America, but it did eventually have his own home, like in America they had Woodstock, in Britain they have Glastonbury, which has got his own festival, formed by a hippie of his own, Michael Avis. Obviously they were very big in the psychedelic scene, they used to take a lot of psychedelic drugs as part of the spiritual meanings and all that. And I think obviously hippie culture is modernised art is probably one of the things that's still surviving a bit today but we don't notice it and everything else and uh, sorry for the bit of the disturbance then <clears throat> let's go back to the hippie culture a lot of it, it, it they did do a lot for a lot of movements, they were proud supporters of the civil rights they helped with the 
LGBT community, they did a lot of good. And it was a lot of their political demeanour that they were anti-Vietnam War, which they were very known for burning draft cards. They were against nuclear arms. And even in modern day, they are still doing a lot with the Extinction Rebellion. And I've got to mention with the hippies that a big, big thing with them in Britain is a place called Glastonbury in Somerset, which is another thing I've done a blog on. Glastonbury, it is like going into a different world, in a sense. Go to Glastonbury, you don't see conventional shops. Like, you don't see a JD on the high street. You don't see a WH Smiths on the high street. Stuff like that. You don't see your conventional high street shops. You see things like incense shops. Spiritual shops. It's a very pagan community. And so is a lot of hippies are pagans. And that's probably why this culture, this culture really, really was a thing in Glastonbury. Obviously, a lot of Glastonbury is full of mythology, which is interesting. I know there's a lot of Christian mythology, but it's celebrated by the pagans. A lot of links towards Jesus, Mary Magdalene. The Holy Grail. Even the Tor is linked to King Arthur. It's nicknamed the Isle of Avalon. You can see why it's such a big thing, this culture. There. It is. This is probably why. It was probably the 1960s glass and we started changing towards a more of a hippie pagan thing. And if you haven't gone to glass and I do recommend it. It is something to see. No matter what. And I think a lot of now just diving back into religion and how the hippie religion goes. A lot of them were Christians. A lot of them believed in the Jesus movement as well. It was quite diverse. That's probably the religious aspect of hippie. They are quite diverse. And before I move on to skinheads, I'm going to look at drugs. A lot of them took more of a... They took more hallucinogenics than anything else. They took mushrooms, LSD, acid, smoked cannabis, rather than, say, the mod culture would have taken amphetamines and heroin. But, and there was a lot of drinking, it was much, you would say, compared to everything else. So, I think that's probably how we can sum up the hippie culture, peace, not war. That's probably one of the biggest slogans as, as well as love and sex. And yeah. And now we're going to move on to a bit more into the 1980s. Late 70s, 1980s. With the skinhead culture. I don't really need to explain one characteristic. Because it is in the name skinheads. They normally wore steel toe cap boots or Doc Martens. They would have wore straight leg jeans. Which was held up by braces. They used to wear shirts, mainly checkered shirts, or Fred Perry polos. Jackets wise used to be denim, or like the long coats, blazers, or 
sometimes Harrington jackets. And yeah, that's pretty much how they used to dress. It was is a lot of characteristics linking to the mod culture. Sorry. Made a drink then. A lot of characteristics lead to the mod culture is a bit more of a working class sense disease. And a lot of them did stem into quite they were quite racist, it could be the white the white skinheads, but there was a lot of black skinheads, Jamaican skinheads. Especially they come from a term called the Jamaican Root Boys, a lot of them. Which is a big thing with Scar. As we know, the specials are a big thing with the Root Boys scene. But that's another thing. Um, characteristics of a skinhead was they were into street punk, Scar, reggae, two-tone Scar, Scar punk. Stuff like that, hardcore punk and probably the early signs of grunge. Mm, and yeah, it was during the 80s, there was a, obviously a political swing. There was a lot of far right and far left clashes in the 80s. Obviously, we had Margaret Thatcher as Prime Minister. And a lot of it did lead back into probably what well, Britain wanted to avoid from the, from the 30s onwards. From the 30s to the 60s was that 30-year period where Oswald Mosley was a big thing. Neo-fascism was coming back between youth cultures, neo-Nazis, and stuff like that. It was just really not... It was really what Britain wanted to avoid going back into that. Because it, it, last time... Britain saw stuff like people like Oswald Mosley, it scared them, it was scary for them, and, and that was it, that is, that's probably what happened to, that's probably what happened, and it did scare a lot of people, obviously there was a pro-left wing, is pro-independence scenes within this culture, and it weren't it weren't just U S and America. It was a lot in East Germany, Spain, Finland, and Eastern Europe. Even Russia had adopted this style, and this was at the height of the Cold War. Remember, And obviously the skinheads did influence a lot in obviously the modern day things. If you are a fan of Shea Meadows, you probably have seen This Is England, the film. Which do show a lot of um, skinhead culture. Quite, It shows quite the racist side of it as well with um, Stephen Graham's character. can't remember his name, and Milky, which is one of the black skinheads in This Is England. But it does still, it's still a thing being a skinhead. 
some of it now is a bit more of a bad sign because you mainly see in America skinheads. But in America, it's mainly into the neo-Nazi movements. It is a big thing. But we got to remember as well, these skinheads weren't just... Well, we, I've, I've done... They are racially motivated, motivated. They're not. A lot of them were against... Were against... Uh, they... They were against a lot of racism, a lot of them were. Especially things that was going on in America at the time. Britain was changing. There was a lot against Margaret Thatcher. They did have a thing. A group called the Skinheads Against Racial Prejudice. They oppose a lot of things. Neo-fascism, neo-Nazis. They did have a very, very, very high, um, sorry, they did have a very high membership of Rude Boys, the Jamaican Scar scenes, and that's probably what it, that's probably what it is, a lot of skinheads did have a thing, I'm, I'm not, I'm probably going to be, I'm not going to say it, it's called Pakistani bashing, it, obviously, the, I'm not going to say the real name for it, because it is something, but yeah, they used to go around areas of London, finding people's Pakistani descent and violently attacking them, some probably made killed, it didn't just happen in the United Kingdom, it happened in Canada as well. Which they did have a skinhead scene as well as America. Yeah, and that's pretty much how the skinhead scene goes. I again, sites I'm using to research this is not really giving me a lot. We can also say one thing about the skinhead fashion. It does link very much into the mod culture. But given a twist. Like I say, the punk gives a bit of a rock as a twist. Yeah, and that's skinheads, and I'm going to move on now next to goths, which is probably one of the undying. It's probably one of the most undying cultures these days, is the gothic culture. Probably stemming into more of a... Oh, two seconds, sorry. It's probably stemmed more from post-punk music. We have a lot of the 1980s, so a lot of gothic bands like The Cure, Joy Division, Susie and the Banshees. And goths really took to cinema as well in the 1980s. Very much into horror movies... If you want to like see a stereotypical goth and compare them to a film character, it's probably Elvira. And a lot of them, it, it, it stemmed a lot of what you see, probably a bit of the emo scene 
of the modern, like, of the 20th to the 21st century, goth did, and and obviously they like dark metal, they do really dark music. It was, but in the 80s it was like a twist of fashion between the new wave, new romantics. Mix was a little bit of Victorian and Edwardian era type style of clothing. Obviously, the goth scene did does change. Obviously, when Joy Division, when Ian Curtis sadly passed away in Joy Division, they basically split and became New Order, and that's that's probably one thing that did change the goth scene, but. A lot of it did really become a bit more into a thing now, gothic metal or horror punk, a lot of people call it. If you look at the goth scene in modern day now, you get a bit more of a Marilyn Manson sort of thing in the United Kingdom. But the only problem is you don't really see goths anymore. Like, it's probably kind of like skinheads, it's probably died out a little bit, but you don't really see a much anymore I think probably one of the influences is now Noel Fielding's a bit gothic but he's a bit alternative at the same time he's got a bit of an indie look to him which um, the ATV crowd did bring a probably a bit more of a I don't know, a bit more of an old school looking goth. Into called Richmond Anvil. Was actually played by Noel Fielding. And yeah, I, I would say goth culture is probably one of the most. It's probably died in the United Kingdom. I think a big thing which does save golf culture a little bit is films by Tim Burton that's still going it can revive it he has revived it multiple times he's he done some films like some dark films he's done Beetlejuice which is a one probably a weird black comedy Edward Scissorhands he made some superhero films into a big gothic thing. He's made Batman, Batman Returns. He's made that into a real gothic thing. He really took the element of Gotham. Clue in the name. Gotham and just just made it dark. In even the stop motion films, it really brought a revival in 1993, the night before Christmas, saw a rise in goth in the goth culture. And in 2005, Corpse of Bride. Did a lot for it as well, and clearly, there's a lot of films that did, like some films you would expect to be in the goth culture sort of thing. It's American Beauty. A Kevin Spacey film was popular amongst the goth culture, and Wedding Crashers. 
it's just it, it is something that it, it is something I just can't understand how it like disappeared so quickly in at times the golf culture obviously a lot of it it might it, I, I did expect a little bit of, of a revival but it didn't happen when the cartoon film of the Addams Family come out but it was wasn't like a lot of people got into that a lot but that, I would say that is pretty much how golf culture is quite sad how it disappeared and yeah and I think I'm going to end the 80s on probably the darkest subculture of the 1980s for me is football hooliganism which which I would say it's not just a youth culture thing It, it it was a lot of adults involved in it. But I would say it was from the late 60s a lot of things had happened. 70s where the growth was coming. In the Football League there were only a couple of firms. Why is they call themselves firms? They do call themselves firms football hooligans, do not call them gangs. A lot of these firms emerge from teams like Arsenal, Chelsea, Leeds, Millwall, West Ham, Bristol City, Wolves, Cardiff. These firms emerged. And I think a lot of it did go into a bit bit of a racist scene coming into the early 80s. Black players regularly were playing in the football league taking on monkey chants, had bananas thrown at them. A lot of them were members of the far-right group, the National Front. And I think if you want to look into Scotland a bit more, there is a bit more of a religious aspect. Sectarian violence in the Old Firm, which is a derby between two Glasgow teams called Rangers and Celtic. Rangers being nationalists and Celtic being pro-Irish Fenians. Yeah, and I would say in the 1980s, firms started coming thick and fast. Birmingham, Tottenham, Portsmouth, Leicester, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United all had firms. And... Yeah, and we did see two firms, or three firms, becoming the biggest. As I'm going near, the third biggest was Millwall. Second was the Intercity firm of West Ham. And number one was the Cardiff City Soul Crew, were the biggest in the UK. But I would say all three firms have a massive, massive youth following. I think this culture was the big thing, but... Resulting of hooliganism was another thing. In 1985, it was a European Cup match, a European Cup final, if I am, European Cup final between Liverpool and Juventus. 
at the Hazley Hazel Stadium, which led into a violent rioting, which Liverpool fans ended up pushing down a wall, killing 39 Juventus fans. The consequence this had was all English clubs were banned from European competitions until 1990. Liverpool had an additional year. They had to wait till 1991. When a lot of these firms, it just rose from that point, all these hooligan firms. There were a lot of England v Wales sort of element aspects with Cardiff and Swansea, Wrexham, Newport playing in the Football League in the English leagues. And these firms didn't just go on to fight each other. They went on to do theft and burglary. The government did try and crack down on football violence by the mid-80s, early 90s. And a lot of these firms did have some notorious incidents. Wolves were very known for being known as the Subway Army. Because if you do go to Wolverhampton, which I have been on work when I worked for Marston's, I was done two two trips to Wolverhampton for training courses. There's a lot of subways in Wolverhampton, in a sense, walking subways, going towards the Molyneux. And these... And Wolves fans used to go down these subways waiting for way support to go down there and attack them. They most notably clashing with Cardiff was one of their biggest clash. Cardiff's obviously I said the Soul Crew is one of the most influential firms or infamous they did do a lot in a sense of violence. They they were avoided by a lot of clubs. They did bring on big rivalry with Swansea, which didn't really have an established firm. They were known as the Jack Army, but they weren't really established as Cardiff, but they did have violence with Stoke, West Ham, Wolverhampton Wanderers, and so on. Plus, Chelsea was another big rival of Cardiff. And I think the Midlands had quite a bit bit of an issue between Wolves, West Brom, Aston Villa and Birmingham City. And I would say that's pretty much how hooliganism affected Britain. It did lead into the 1990s a bit, but it did die out. And talking about the 1990s now... I will be going into two cultures. Of the 1990s, the first one I'll be looking at is the early 90s rave culture. Underground raves where they normally have, um, in a sense, in basements, in fields, stuff illegally. And also linking to that is the baggy music scene. Which a lot of people know the baggies with the Happy Mondays and Stone Roses. 
baggy trousers, baggy jackets, baggy t-shirts. Don't look like they wash. And that's probably pretty much just going to start with the rave scene. The 1980s was a thing of acid house music, which did come into the 90s. A lot of drum and bass is a big thing in the 90s as well. Where you didn't see, like, I know a lot of people think rave is dubstep now, or people like Joe Corey, wherever you do. We all know they've got a tightening Cardiff, which is quite embarrassing. But a lot of the 90s rave scenes were mainly just breakdowns of acid house techno, hardcore techno, electro. EDM music, electronic dance music. <laughs> but the rave scenes were very much around drugs. Which was very much around drugs. There was a lot going on. There was a lot going on with drugs at the time, with acid. Obviously, the Stone Roses were quite big. People, Happy Mondays were very known, especially Sean Ryder and Bez. Yeah, it was... um, A lot was stemming from this dance scene. Heroin started coming as a rise as well. Heroin, cocaine was another thing that was big. These dance scenes did sort of rise of the British 90s drug. Drug scene, there was a lot of drugs in the 90s. Especially now I'm going to dive into the baggy scene, which was probably a birth of a form of an indie, form of indie music. Stone Roses was another one that was quite known for the drugs and... Happy Mondays, you had bands like Spiral Carpets, which was influenced. This, this, on a positive, Baggy was a birth of an indie scene in the early 90s, 1991. After 91, we did kind of see a bit of an end of uh, British music subculture, which it was at the time, indie rock, into grunge. And basically, we go into 1994 now, which is Britpop. Oasis, Blur, The Verve, Ocean Colour Scene, Manic Street Preachers, The Stereophonics, Britpop, basically brought indie rock from a subculture into mainstream, especially with the likes of the Battle of Britpop between Oasis and Blur. These were two influential bands to youth. Oasis, the working class band from Manchester, hard hitting, hard hits like Wonderwall, Done Up Back in Angus, some might say Live Forever, a pure rock band going against the very comedic, fun indie rock sounding London based middle class blur, which went against each other, the bands did in 1985, Oasis respectively. Released Roll With It as their single. It went against, the, went against Country House of Blue. Blue was the eventual winners of the battle. But many say 
saw Oasis's popularity grow really amongst the youth as Oasis claimed they won the war. But Oasis did bring something with the youth. A lot of things really stemmed with Liam Gallagher's attitude, Noel's attitude, really stemmed with a lot of the young fans. Oasis did do a lot for music and a lot for culture, and I think a lot of modern-day culture now. And how people behave come from the Gallagher brothers, which now I'm going to slowly go into a bit more of the modern-day. So obviously the indie rock survived probably 20 years, I would say, as a mainstream culture. It's still pretty mainstream now, but... Obviously, the 2000s, mid-2000s, brought bands like the Arctic Monkeys, the Killers, Franz Ferdinand, Kasabian, the Wombats. It, it survived somewhat, this indie scene. But I think the 2000s were predominantly, obviously, with Britain, into the emo scene, a lot of teenagers became into the in the emo scene especially with bands like blink 182 panic at the disco fallout by paramore releasing britain very much had a clash between indie and emo at the time and obviously the growth of trav culture was coming which is probably something we don't want to fucking remember trav culture not everyone wants to remember someone wearing a cabrini tracksuit or a Mackenzie one oh. but the emo culture and the indie culture were something big at the time but the Trav culture was coming the rise of Trav music I would say probably the most stereotypical one for the youth scenes were end-ups were one and that's pretty much how the 2000s went I think culture in the 2000s was pretty much what was left over the 90s, in a sense. And American culture coming into the country. I would say that's pretty much what what it is. And I wouldn't say that the 2010s, the 2010s culture was... was something to remember. It was not really a lot of culture. Not really, really a lot of subculture. It's just a mainly hipster culture. Top forty chart music. It was. It was. There was a veganism. I would say is more of a culture, because there is a way of life. I would say the two cultures: hipster, chav, three sorry, hipster, chav, and vegans. Are the culture of the last decade and obviously spilling into this decade at the moment because I don't think the youths have the capability of doing something new like they used to I think the 90s brought the end to great subcultures for everyone and I don't think there's a lot of inspirations into it I know there were a rise of trying to be a use another rise of use hooliganism in football, but it was something that didn't work. And obviously, I clearly don't think that it's the same anymore. I think youth society has gone slow, and it's, I think, one of the 
been things is, is the lack of youth services now. Lack of youth clubs, dropping centres, YMCAs. I know we've got quite a few where I live, but they are dying down. And I think I was thankful when I was a teenager, between 2014 to 2016, as part of a thing called the Cofidi Youth Forum, which is acts like a youth council within Cofidi County Borough. They do a lot of great work. If any of them is listening, this is a big shout-out to you. A big thanks to what they do. I was a cabinet member for media. Or, actually, I was a deputy for media, if I understand corrected. But now the point is that there's not a lot of these organisations left. I know it's a struggling organisation down the valley. For me, in Singenes, the Siddiq, the East Dropping Centre, is struggling financially and people are hoping that it can get bailed out because it does a lot of work in such a poor area of Wales. Badly affected area, if you know history. Very sad history, St. Gen has got. But yeah, I think that's probably another factor why youth culture doesn't really survive anymore. It's because it's got nothing to survive on. It's no roots, nothing. It's just dead. And that's the only way I can put it. I would like to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Sorry for the little bit of a blip earlier as a fault. Please subscribe to me on YouTube at Jack Osborne Podcast. The first video podcast upload will be coming very shortly. Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Blogs 98 And follow me on WordPress at jackosbornblogs.wordpress.com. Thank you and have a good day.